If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Coffee in California Politics, as we do every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. We sit, we chat, we talk about California politics, and as always, there's a lot to really get into today. Um, Gonna start off with a little bit of an interesting subject, but I want you to stick with me on this because I think there is a good lesson um, for it. Uh, Get some announcements out of the way. Uh, tomorrow night at 8 p.m. live on YouTube, be having uh, Angela McArdle, who is the president of the L.A. Libertarian Party. We want to sit and talk about maybe some misconceptions about what the Libertarian Party is. She's part of the Mises Caucus, which is a little different. Um, so it'd be interesting to talk about what the Mises Caucus is, what their goals are, what they stand for. Uh, and also maybe just kind of, you know, get rid of the, a lot of notions about libertarianism and, um, yeah, talk about it because why not? You know, let's talk about as many liberty minded ideals as possible. Um, what else is going on? That's basically it for the announcements. Uh, busy week last week, uh, coming up two weeks, two weeks until the recall. Uh, there will be voting in person as contrary to a lot of people believe that there will be voting in person and there's going to be early voting in person. So I know that uh, my buddy Brian Burley has been doing a good job kind of posting a lot of like the numbers that are coming in for Orange County. And you can kind of tell like based on the numbers what's going on. I think we'll get a better idea this weekend, probably next weekend as well, right before the election of what's going on. Republicans usually turn out more in person. Um, So we'll see. But let's get started with what I want to chat about this morning specifically I want to turn my volume down on my microphone because it is really loud um, for the audio version. So for people who are listening, you can always listen to this if you miss it and you can't uh, sit here and watch a whole video. That's fine. There's always the audio version. It goes up on my podcast link in my, my bio. You can always follow the podcast there. If you don't already follow the podcast, follow the podcast subscribe, like review, all that stuff, help the algorithm help, you know, spread the word about it. Anyway, First thing I want to talk about today is meme stocks. And you're probably sitting here going, what do meme stocks have to do with California politics? And I'm going to get into it. If you don't know what a meme stock is, let me back up a little bit. Meme stocks are stocks that are uh, generated or that are popular based on Reddit or memes or people on the internet, amateur traders, uh, specifically this one community called Wall Street Bets. Uh, and what they did, Wall Street bets, Dogecoin, yeah, Dogecoin is another meme stock, the whole to the moon and stuff like that. That's meme stocks. What they did was one of the guys on this Wall Street bets subreddit figured out that a lot of big firms had essentially placed their positions to short GameStop. Now, what that means, if you're not familiar with what the lingo of like stock trading and stuff is. When you short a stock, it means you're betting that it's going to go lower. So essentially what you're doing is you're buying a lower price for that stock and you're waiting for it to go down. And then I guess you make the difference between like what it was when it was bought, like at the time it was, and then when it finally gets down to the price that you were expecting. So they had figured out that this one stock, GameStop specifically, AMC was another one, but GameStop was one of the most popular that really caused a lot of problems. They had figured out that, well, 
we can buy GameStop with enough people because there's enough people on this platform and we can cause it to go in the opposite direction. Now, the thing is, when a stock goes in the opposite direction, people who are holding those short positions lose a lot of money. And a lot of these big firms bet big that GameStop was going to go down. So if you were someone who followed financial news and stuff like that, there was a huge uproar. Um, yes, we're going to get to the whole resolution last night. Um, so I'll talk about that in a bit. I want to get through this first and then we'll talk about that. Kind of why they kind of work out together. Um, so what happened was, is all these memers and these Reddit people started buying. The price was going in the opposite direction. It was starting to go up and up and up and up. And all these firms that had a lot of big bets on shorting all of a sudden started losing millions of dollars. And it was a huge panic on Wall Street, mostly a big panic amongst the big firms that had bought into this. And it got to the point where actually they had to ask the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, like, are you going to do something about these meme stocks or GameStop or something like that? This one stock of a brick and mortar video game store that is going out of business, um, was brought up to the Treasury Secretary of the United States. They didn't really have any answer because they didn't know what the heck was going on. Uh, so it got to the point where they had to suspend trades on Robinhood, which is ironic because Robinhood was supposed to be for the amateur little guy trader. And now all of a sudden they were doing the bidding of Wall Street and the big firms. They were closing them out. There was nothing illegal about what they were really doing. Like there's no illegality that if all of a sudden a bunch of people get into GameStop and start buying it, there's nothing really illegal about it. It's not like they're doing pump and dump and stuff like that. A lot of these people were actually buying and holding, uh, but it was causing a lot of these firms to lose money. In fact, some of these firms, you know, I'm a big Mets fan. The guy who owns the Mets actually had to loan money to another firm so they could cover their shortfall because that's how bad the GameStop repercussions were. So you got to a point where they had a hearing, they had this guy from Reddit, um, they had the guy from Robinhood, they had this like huge hearing about what to do with GameStop and what to do with these people who were essentially figured out the system and how to really hurt these big financial firms. Um, nothing was really ever done about it. It just kind of went away. Some people kept holding on as long as possible. Uh, and it got to the point where even, you know, champion of the people, and you've seen her in a bunch of recall ads, uh, Elizabeth Warren came out and said that we need to come up with some sort of rules to stop people like this from doing this on, on Wall Street. Imagine a person who says they are for the people and restraining Wall Street all of a sudden is now advocating for Wall Street. I know you're shocked. You're shocked that Elizabeth Warren would all of a sudden start advocating for Wall Street rather than for the little person. I mean, she's a senator after all. She has to keep her, her beneficiaries or her benefactors really happy. Um, so that's one instance. And, and I bring this up because what they did with GameStop, it means they figured out a way to hurt the establishment. In a legal way. It was fine. Um, there was really no one went to jail over it. It's not like people were like getting fined or stuff like that. You can do that. You can buy a stock. You can go out and buy any stock you want. Um, they were just upset that the establishment got hurt really, really bad. And to this point, Wall Street Bets is still doing this. They'll find a stock and they'll say, okay, they're shorting this position and we'll go all in and hurt these financial establishments. 
I don't know. They haven't come up with any rules to stop them yet, as far as I know. But it's interesting because it's modern financial guerrilla warfare. And this leads into my next topic about guerrilla warfare. And guerrilla warfare, we all know what guerrilla warfare is, sort of. I mean, we all kind of know that guerrilla warfare was used in Vietnam. It was used um, in a most recent example in Afghanistan. But it all starts with this one guy, Quintus Fabius Maximus Varicosis, who was a dictator in Roman times. Because at this time, Roman Rome was under siege from, I'm sure you heard of, of Hannibal of Carthage, the guy with the elephants. He came over the mountains and all that stuff. Um, Rome was really in danger. Rome was in danger of actually losing the empire at this point. They were on the edge they they had no idea what to do they they had to start conscripting slaves and by that you know slaves in the terms of back then they were just like white italians um they weren't slaves like we think of yes rome had a lot of slaves um that was sort of the norm back then but they had to start conscripting slaves not trained soldiers because their numbers were getting demolished by hannibal hannibal was a really brilliant military expert so it seemed like they were they were knocking on the door um, and it looked like Rome was going to fall and, and Hannibal was going to take over. Now this guy, they, they called him Fabius for short. Um, he figured out this new strategy, which they now call the Fabian, the Fabian strategy. And they call him the father of guerrilla warfare. He essentially figured out that we can't beat Hannibal on the battlefield. We can't sit there and go toe to toe with Hannibal. I keep wanting to say Hannibal Lecter, but that's not who it is. Hannibal is different. This, in this case, it's somebody completely different. So he figured out that he could really just annoy Hannibal and his armies if he just did things like attack their supply lines, uh, did little skirmishes with like little smaller military forces, scorched earth so that like he would, you know, you, you couldn't get the resources. That was a big thing back in those times. That if you won a battle, usually you got the resources to go along with it. You got farmers, you got mineral, you got resources, you got all that stuff as you conquered more land. But Scorched Earth was basically, well, we're not going to let you have any of this stuff. So you're going to keep running low on resources. To the point where he frustrated Hannibal enough that eventually it just ended. And he was able to save the Roman Republic, which then turned into Roman Empire. Um... But that strategy was the birth, or as far as we know, the most written, recorded version of guerrilla warfare. And they call him the father of guerrilla warfare. He looked out on the field and he said to himself, I can't beat you one-on-one -on -one because you outnumber me by so much in conventional warfare. So therefore, I'm going to have to figure out more um, unique ways to kind of combat you. So now... We kind of have that going throughout history. We saw it in Vietnam. I mean, even more relevant, we saw it in the beginning of the American Revolution. While there were battles of, you know, you had the colonists on one side and you had Britain on the other side and they would fight. There were skirmishes where they would actually just kind of jump out of trees and forests and stuff like that. And they would attack their supply lines and they would attack commanders and stuff like that. And they would really frustrate the British. It was sort of this like war of attrition where sooner or later the British said, you know, we, we can't afford this anymore. We're tired of fighting the colonists. Um, 
So therefore, we're just going to give up. Which is essentially how the American Revolution really ended, is we just kind of held off long enough that the British and the British Parliament were like, we're spending way too much money, we're in debt, we don't have this money to keep fighting this war thousands of miles away, and back then that was a big deal, fight a, a war thousands of miles away. And they just kind of gave up, and they're like, all right, we, we, we give it, we're, we're, we're done. And so guerrilla warfare was even part of our own founding as Americans. Um, as we see it go up through history, we saw in Vietnam, we see it. And most recently, I mean, the best example of the most recent is Afghanistan. We saw it in the Middle East where guerrilla warfare actually worked, you know, and Afghanistan is a whole different topic. We're not going to get into that today. We've talked about it. But in essence, we spent as much money. We're the biggest military in the world. We're the richest country in the world. We went to Afghanistan. We want to defeat terrorism at all costs. But in reality, we still have ISIS, we still have the Taliban, we still have terrorists, we still have extreme jihadists. So what in the end did they do? They did the same thing, war of attrition. Um, and at the end of the day, they won. I mean, I guess if you want to look at it that way, they kind of won because we left and nothing really changed after 20 years. And it was a war of attrition. They just kind of wore America down to the point where... We just kind of said, well, we got to leave. Like, we can't keep spending money in this this country that's not going to respect what we're trying to do. And they're not going to listen to our nation building. Um, and so we left. And it's a disaster, but that's a whole different subject. The point I'm getting at is guerrilla warfare. There are lessons here in guerrilla warfare that we can take from the meme stocks all the way back to Quintus Fabius Maximus Varicosis. Um, and the idea that you can be creative and use every tool at your disposal when it comes to whether it's financial warfare, whether it's actual warfare. Um, and in this sense here in California, it's political warfare. You know, we, we are, it's no secret that we are completely outnumbered people who are not far left status Democrats. Um, but there are avenues for people to go. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people who we need to start figuring out the tools that we have at our disposal. Now, in two weeks, we are using one of those tools at our disposal, which is we're trying to recall. Um, I'm trying to look back at the, the other Roman name that some someone mentioned. We're trying to recall noodles um, and try and get them out of office. It's a legal process. We're allowed to do it. Is it, you know, the, a lot of their claims are, well, it's not a fair election because of the proportion Okay, yeah, but it's still allowable. It's still legal to do so. Just like the meme stock people were allowed to buy GameStop. Um, it, it's guerrilla warfare, but on a political level. And that's how California, I think, is one way we really have to kind of figure out how to fight back. How do we do that? Recalls are one. Recalls are definitely one way we can really put pressure on a lot of these politicians. Now, I know there's recalls going for different people. I know the, the DA up in LA, Gascon is, is getting a recalled or he's under a recall. Um, I know there's other people who are here at Shasta County has been going after their board of supervisors. I know there's a lot of talk kind of bringing it more recent. Uh, there's a lot of talk about recalling people like Nathan Fletcher, although he is up for election next year. And I'm not sure about the timeline. If it works out that you can have a recall election within like, I think it's like six months of when they're actually going to be elected. Um, I'd have to double check that. Uh, but now there's even talk of 
recalling like Tara Lawson Raymer, who I say is the weak link on the San Diego County Board of Supervisors because she's in a competitive district. She's in a competitive competitive district that could be won by a Republican. And how do I know that? Because Kristen Gaspar used to have that seat. So it is possible that she can be recalled and that a Republican can go back in there. I believe a Republican can run against her and probably win if they're a good Republican. Uh, but there is this style of like political guerrilla warfare that we have to start engaging in. We can't engage right now until the numbers change in our, in our favor one way or the other, whether it's Republicans or Libertarians or whatever. One party or another amasses enough power to really stand toe-to-toe with the, the Democratic status party here in California. But until then, we really have to start to get creative. We have to start to get creative in our solutions and how we approach these politicians. So I think recall is definitely one of them. And I've said that before, that recall is the voice of the minority party here in California. And you can put pressure on politicians because really, once you get a certain amount, it's only a percentage of the people who voted. So you can get a percentage of the people who voted to actually get the petition approved. Um, And then also, you only need a certain amount of people to get the new person in. So that is a way to do it. And they're going to say, well, this isn't fair and they're abusing the recall process and et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's a legal process. It's a process that's inscribed in our Constitution, our California Constitution. That's for sure. And we're allowed to do it. Lawfare is another thing. Lawfare, if you don't know the term, is basically taking it to court and fighting it out there and letting the the judges decide. Is it always a slam dunk? Not always in California. Um, sometimes it's a hard battle and especially in federal court, it's not as easy, but there are judges out there who are willing to at least uphold the California and the U S constitution and say, these things are wrong. And lawfare is another way to really engage in that. So there has to be different ways, whether it's social media as well. I think I see a lot of people, you know, you're seeing these social media influencers who are gaining a lot of support and all they do is focus on like one area. You know, a lot of the San Diego influencers who are all doing a fantastic job of really galvanizing people, whether it's San Diego Rise Up or Reopen San Diego or Let Them Breathe or Rooted Wings. um, There's a whole bunch of accounts that are really good on being focused on San Diego. And I'm sure there's groups all up and down this state, but they figured out that they can get their voice heard and start to enact activism really quickly. I mean, look at what happened with AB 455. One little word got out and then it started to spread on social media and then the activism started. And that way we blew up their telephones. We flooded them with emails and phone calls and a lot of people backed off. I don't know if they backed off. I mean, they haven't backed off completely. They're probably going to try and reintroduce it in the January session. But for now, I think they got enough heat that they said, well, this is way too much heat. So we're going to back off of this for now and we're not even going to bring it up. And side note, AB 1102, if you haven't called and emailed about that, do the same thing. It's the same exact thing. Gut and amend. Let them know you're not a fan of gut and amend um, and tell them that you don't support it. And if there's enough people who are blowing up their phones, politicians listen. I mean, even if they're not aligned with your political beliefs, at the end of the day, they want to hold on to their power. And if there's a bunch of people calling in saying, like, we don't agree with this. That's enough heat for them to say, "Ah, maybe I need to back off a little bit, especially in competitive districts. You know, these are things that we need to learn the game. We need to look at competitive districts. And by competitive, I mean 
like there's a chance we can close the gap. It doesn't have to be like, well, Republicans are up in this district. We have more Republican voters. So therefore we should be competitive in that district. I mean, those should be really, um, I mean, those should, we shouldn't be worried about those being competitive is, uh, we should really be looking at districts where it's like a smaller gap between Republicans and Democrats. There may be more Democrats, but at least there's enough Republicans that we can switch people. So we have to learn and be more strategic and save our resources. That's the other thing is that financially they are going to beat us 10 to one every single time. Look at how much money Gavin Newsom is pouring into this anti-recall event. Um, he is pouring tons of money. And if I have to see one more Elizabeth Warren or vote no on the recall and Gavin Newsom's protecting us all from the scary, my Sharona Cyrus, um, and all that stuff. And I have to see it while I'm trying to watch a baseball game. If I have to see three more commercials in a row, I don't know. I'm just going to go crazy. I'm going to be waiting for September 14th to come around. Um, and they're going to outspend us. But that's the difference is that when you have a social media following or you're online and you have all these different avenues, you can spread information pretty quickly by forming online communication, whether it's a discord, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Telegram, whether it's Twitter, whether it's all these things, you can organize pretty quickly. And at the end of the day, we have to figure out how to use these tools to accomplish our political goals. Now, is it all going to happen at once? Is there going to be like a huge wave, like a red wave that everybody wants? No. But can you win here and there? Can you get a little win here? Great. Can you get a little win here? Great. Can you? And that's all guerrilla warfare is really all about. So this guerrilla style political warfare is about racking up as many little wins as we possibly can. And some things may not look like they're big wins. They may not look like, well, we got one, you know, we got this measure taken off. That's a big win because in a democratic supermajority, they didn't have to listen to the people in AB 455. They could have just said, well, we're just going to ram it through anyway. Who cares? Who's going to stop us? But they took it off anyway. I would count that as a win. Um, even if it's flipping a state assembly seat, which I think is a big deal. I don't think that's a little win. I think that's a big deal. If it's flipping a county supervisor seat, it's a flipping a city council seat. I think there's, we have to start looking at how we can do little wins here and there and chip away at the giant democratic status apparatus that has really ruined California. Um, and I add the caveat of status because I think there's a difference between Democrats who are now becoming liberty minded who are not really fans of where we're going. Um, and I think they're starting to look at things and go, I'm not really a big fan of where things are going, even though I'm a registered Democrat, I'm more moderate. Um, but I think there are people who are absolutely buying into, we need to be run by the states or the statist power. And we have to believe that statist authority is the ultimate and most moral authority, which, I mean, we can have a whole thing. I mean, we'll talk about that tomorrow, probably on the podcast with Angela about this idea of like statism and that the state is this all glorious, wonderful thing and that you worship at the altar of statism, um, which a lot of people do. A lot of people do worship at the altar of statism and believe that government is all knowing and all powerful and they're all benevolent because if you elect our team in their minds, if you elect, if you just elect our team, we'll hit a utopia, which has not worked out in California because even with a democratic supermajority and a democratic governor, we still haven't reached utopia. In fact, I think we're more sliding down towards a third world country. Um, so that's 
really my spiel for the beginning half of this is we have to figure out, we have to organize and we have to get better at this sort of guerrilla political warfare because you're not going to win one-on-one with a lot of these issues. You got to figure out how to get a little bit more crafty. And I think if you can chip away at them and be an annoyance to them, sooner or later, they start to listen and either you win a seat, you flip a seat. Um, But at the end of the day, you have to figure out every tool that's at your disposal legally. And I say this legally, every tool that's legally prescribed to you, you have to, we have to figure out how to use and use, use to our benefit. Um, So I guess that leads into what happened last night with San Diego County Board of Supervisors. And I just want to say, I cannot be more proud that so many people showed up and I, I was worried that like there was only there wasn't a lot, but I think there was more people. I, someone might correct me on this. I think there was more people at this specific one because of the resolution that was approved than the last one. Um, but the fact that they were there for like fourteen hours, God bless you. I I couldn't sit in one spot for fourteen hours. Um, I'm sure people were charging their phones and everything like crazy and and all that. But wow, that was. That was really incredible. I don't know if anybody tuned in to what that was. And I would say this, even though the resolution passed, which I was expecting it to pass anyway, I didn't, you know, we put a little pressure on, on Tara Lawrence Reamer. Um, I still think you can put a lot of pressure on Tara, Tara I keep saying her name wrong, Tara Lawrence Reamer. Um, I think there's still an opportunity to put pressure on her because she's in a competitive district. Again, this is the part of the political guerrilla warfare where you have to look at her and say, well, I don't think she's really in a great position to keep going far left, but she made her bed. Now she gets to lie in it. And that's a vote that next time there is an election, if it's a recall election, which I know someone is working on, um, speaking of which, I think I put his name up. If you're in her district, specifically district three, reach out to him. It's SD must one. That's his username. His name's Mike. Uh, you can reach out to him. He's already starting a recall against her. Uh, so we're trying to get him the, the people and the signatures that he needs. Uh, so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't shocked that it passed. I wasn't shocked because Nathan Fletcher is someone who believes that he's right all the time. And, you know, he started off the whole agenda item with videos and call-ins from Sharp and Radies and all these big hosses, UC San Diego, a lot of places, you know, the big medical centers here in San Diego. And San Diego has a good amount of them. Um, and of course they all said, well, you know, get the vaccine, get the, uh, you know, we have to do X, Y, and Z. And they all agreed with Nathan Fletcher and they praised him and said, oh, you know, honorable chairman, you're doing a wonderful job. And thank you so much for doing this and that. But here's the issue. Sure. That's one group of medical professionals and I'm not discounting their opinion. They can have an opinion. I think that's the beauty of America and our society, uh, is that, you can have that opinion. Everybody can have an opinion. Now, if you don't know what this resolution was about, the resolution is very vaguely stated that it's going to combat misinformation, medical misinformation. The problem with that legally is that it's way too vague. And whenever you put a prior restraint on free speech and the government delegates a standardless, and this is the legal argument because I'm quoting from legal documents that might be filed or probably will be filed soon um, is that a standardless uh, discretion that's granted to a government authority on free speech is on its face unconstitutional. 
a government authority cannot just grant itself some sort of vague, amorphous, well, we'll know it when we see it sort of restriction on free speech. It has to be narrowly tailored to what you're trying to do. And in this case, I don't even know how you narrowly tailor some sort of resolution to call something medical misinformation. When you think about what's been medical misinformation before and then turns out to be true information, like Dave Rubin was suspended from Twitter for saying boosters are coming and he posted the actual stuff of like, yeah, boosters are coming. And he posted like articles about it. And then they suspended it and said, well, that's, you know, that's false information. We don't know anything about boosters. And then like two weeks later, they said, oh, well, maybe there needs to be boosters. So they brought him back on and he was like, this is where I was getting my information from. I didn't just come up with this out of the sky. Like this is information, but they labeled it medical misinformation. And they said, that's why he was suspended from Twitter. So that's why it's so, this whole thing on its face is so absolutely unconstitutional I read it and I was like flabbergasted that anybody over at the county building and, you know, they're all nice people. I've talked to them and most of them are nice people, I should say. I'm surprised it got past any one of the county council and they looked at it and said, yeah, this is fine. This should be good. Like no one's ever going to challenge this in court. Um, Otherwise, I think probably Nathan Fletcher probably just went ahead with it anyway and said, I'm just going to do this and see what happens. And I'm going to win my political points and I'm going to get a little pat on the head from the Democratic establishment that I did this. Um, But I can guarantee that it is so unconstitutional that any fair judge, and I say fair judge because a lot of these judges right now who are afraid of COVID and afraid of ruling against anything that could possibly be viewed as like spreading COVID or or anything like that, they don't want to rule against it for fear that they might get repercussions. But if you get a fair judge and he looks at it, he or she looks at it and says, yeah, this is completely unconstitutional. You can't do this. So that's the argument. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty basic. You can't write yourself vague definitions of what is medical misinformation. You can't just say, oh, we'll know it when we see it. We know what medical misinformation is. And a lot of the people who he brought out, who made their statements about, well, misinformation is literally killing people. And, you know, the doctors are tired and the nurses are tired and our hospitals are overwhelmed and everything like that. And they're using that. Then they used Brady's children to show like kids and kids getting it and then all that stuff. Um, They didn't even say like, what is actual medical misinformation? They weren't able to sit there and go like, hey. This is what we think is medical misinformation. So therefore, this is what we think you should do. Um, And that's the issue. It's very vague. It's way too broad. It's way too broad in what it deems. It gives way too much authority to the county. Not only that, we're talking about equal protection. Because now you have an issue of if someone's from L.A. and they post something and someone in San Diego receives that information, does that mean that the person in L.A. is going to get in trouble with San Diego County. And then the person in LA is probably going to be like, well, go pound sand because I'm not in San Diego County. I have nothing to do with this. And now you have an equal protection issue where people of San Diego County are being treated differently under the California constitution, which is the Liberty of speech uh, clause of the California constitution, article one, section two. Now you're treating San Diegans differently than the rest of the people in California. And what if you're not San Diegan? So what if you're like a zoni coming in to go to the beach or something like that? 
Now, it's just so ludicrous and vague and unspecified about what they're going to do that it's unconstitutional. On its face, anybody who would look at this looks at it and goes, this is absolutely unconstitutional. You can't do this. Um, And that's it. Are they going to work with social media companies? Are they going to personally reach out? Are there going to be new people who they're going to bring on the county payroll who are going to sit there on social media and say like, oh, this is medical misinformation because, and then what gives the authority to that one county worker that this is medical misinformation? Because if they're not a medical professional, how do they tell you what is medical misinformation? If they're just a county worker, they're just working off a list of what they deem as medical misinformation. So it's a mess. It's a mess of a resolution. I'm not surprised it passed, to be completely honest. Um, Vargas was very adamant about it. Um, she seemed very in favor of it. Laura, Tara Lawrence Reamer didn't even say anything about it. She left and phoned in later to vote yes. Someone said it sounded like she was half asleep when she was woken up. I, I don't doubt it. I don't think she really cares. But, you know, again, this is stuff that you use as ammo in the political guerrilla warfare where if you're going to recall someone, you can say, well, she voted on this and didn't even have the courage to show up and um, actually face the voters and all the constituents head on, you know. So, you know, Nathan Fletcher had to sit there the whole time because he is the chair of the committee, so he can't just disappear. He had to sit there the whole time and listen to it. Um, I think Jim Desmond and Joel Anderson sat there the whole time. So they were the two no's, Joel Anderson and Jim Desmond. So I wouldn't say like it's all over, but there are avenues and ways to go. The moral of the story is this. Don't give up every single time a battle seems to be lost. We just have to get creative in how we fight those battles. And I think there's plenty of ways to do it. I think there's plenty of tools at our opportunity or at our, our disposal. And I think there's a way to change things little by little. And I think there's a way to change things. I mean, the recall, if successful, is a huge wave of enthusiasm. Don't rest on your laurels and think it's all about getting noodles out. Because once, you know, if he gets voted out, don't think all of a sudden, oh, okay, we can... Um, sit back and relax. Uh, you have to keep going. Take that as, you know, the Boston Tea Party of California if we get rid of noodles on September 14th. So that's one way that we have to, you know, really think about going forward and using these tools that are at our disposal legally. I say that legally that are at our disposal to push back against the democratic statist apparatus that's here in California. And no, don't dox people. Don't dox people because that puts people in danger and they'll probably file civil harassment or something like that. Don't do that. Um, Anyway, so that is, yes, allegedly. No, I'm saying legally do not do anything that is not uh, approved we're looking at legal ways to do it, whether it's filing lawsuits, whether it's filing temporary restraining orders, whether it's recalls, whether it's social media. There are ways to do it legally and to fight the system, and there are plenty of ways to do it. Um, so someone said, is your firm going to sue? We are working on it. So I will tell you that, that we have a lot of stuff where we're working on it behind the scenes. Um, so I'll release that news soon, but I can tell you right now, we've been working on it. So. That's why I'm so brushed up on my arguments right now is because I've been looking a lot into it.
sorry, I had to take a sip from my giant cup. It says get sh- done. Which is sort of the point of this episode. We're trying to get stuff done. And this is the way we do it. Anyway, so um, I will keep you all posted on that front. What's going on? I will say this. It's the the fight is not over about this resolution. It's not going, you know, last night was not the be all and end all. The the fight is just um, the fight is still going on. So someone came in here with shots fired talking about doxing. I appreciate your passion. Yeah, don't dox people because that is... um, you know then you start getting families involved don't get families involved that's not fair like families don't really want to be a part of this you know you have to push back on them um in their arena that's what i'm saying push back on them in their arena there's legal ways to do it there's the brown act there's the bain act there's so many ways and laws that favor californians pushing back because of a lot of this what was and you don't really see it anymore because Democrats don't believe in giving people power. They believe in them having all the power. And it used to be they believed that power should be a direct democracy. And now it's coming back to bite them in the ass because people are using the direct democracy against them and they're a lot of their cronies and their lackeys. So when they, people start to recall, um, that's a legal way to do it. Yeah, strategic, not barbaric. That's a good way to do it. Strategic, not barbaric. Don't don't dox. Don't go to people's homes and, and protest outside their home and, and bother them while they're home. Um, yeah, that's a perfect point. Doxing would just support the domestic terrorist argument. Meet them on the battlefield in terms of how we can in legally. Um, so let's see. Questions, questions, comments. People have been talking about AB 1102. If you haven't contacted your reps, please do so. AB 1102 is mandating uh, employers to require the employees to get vaccines. So it's another end run around like forcing private businesses to do their dirty work for them when in reality they're too afraid to do the dirty work. So they're just going to have the private businesses do it. So. Random question. If you're a registered mail-in voter, can you vote in person or are you limited to mail-in? No, you can go vote in person. Um, I'm pretty sure, Yeah, you can go vote. In, what do you mean registered mail-in? If you re- requested a mail-in, I think you can still show up and, and vote in person. Yeah, doxing means you blast someone's personal info publicly. Don't do that. Because then they'll say, like that the other co- commenter said, uh, it just feeds into the argument that you're a domestic terrorist. You are right, but their policies are directly my home. Doxing out, boycotting in. Uh, yeah, just meet them. Yeah. Rooted Wings has a good way to message. Um, I think there's like a click or something like that. Uh, my template is still up. So if you want to use the template from AB455, it's basically the same thing. It's basically saying, I don't agree with gut and amend. So therefore, please don't do this. And we know what you're up to, and this is sneaky, and we don't approve of it. So you can use the same exact template, switch out AB455, change it up however you want. It's on my page. It's under highlights. Um, yes, the 8th, there is going to be a protest. Um, protests are legal. Protests are fine. Um, so do that as well. And you know, I don't know if they will let us vote in the Bay Area. They should let you vote in person in the Bay Area. I think everyone's allowed to vote in person. 
<coughs> excuse me. I don't think it's, you'd have to check with your, um, I was thinking about doing a video about all this stuff, but the issue is I could show you what the process is for San Diego County, but it's different every single County. I know a lot of you tune in from all over California. So the best thing to do is to go to your County registrar and ask them and ask them. There's probably information about where you can vote in person. Um, so go check out the registrar. They will tell you exactly. They'll probably ask you like put in your address and, and all that stuff. And they'll tell you like, this is your polling location. Go to this polling location. But otherwise I'd have to go through like 58 different counties. And, you know, all I can tell you is if you're in, you know, what is it? Alameda County for the Bay area. I can never remember that Alameda County, go to Alameda County registrar, look it up. If you're in LA County, look in LA County registrar, San Diego, you know, you get the picture, San Diego County registrar, Orange County, County registrar, stuff like that. Um, so, and they'll give you, they have to give you all the information. They can't like hide information from you to be kind of sneaky about that stuff. Um, otherwise they could be facing a big lawsuit for deceiving the voters and stuff like that. Uh, all right. What other questions we got? We talked about AB 1102. We talked about the resolution. We talked about guerrilla warfare. Um, we talked about, man, we talked about a lot already. It's only nine 42. Um, so we got about 20 minutes left because I got a big day, busy day ahead of me. Uh, yeah. A poll worker is different. Someone asked about, I tried to be a poll worker, but they want you to do all four days. Uh, if you can't commit the time, look into becoming an election observer because that is just one day. So you can look into being an election observer. A poll worker is someone who actually has to sit there and work the poll um, and actually be like processing ballots and stuff like that. You get trained and in, in, in everything. You're actually an employee of the county registrar. But if you just want to observe, you can reach out to become an election observer, which is different. That's just a volunteer position where you can say, I want to be an election observer. And they'll say, okay, this is how you do it. And this is what you do. And this is where you go and X, Y, and Z. And that way you can keep an eye on what's going on. Like on September 14th, say you want to be an election observer. You want to make sure everything's going on the up and up. That's fine. You can do that. Uh, there is that possibility. I don't know different counties might be different because I remember last year, I mean, you remember in 2020, they tried to do the whole, well, we can't have everybody in here because of COVID and, you know, we only have a limited amount. So we have to move everybody in and out. And it always seemed like they just conveniently always moved like Republican election observers out and they kept the democratic election observers in. Um, so, you know, just, uh, just conveniently they used COVID to figure out that, we could push people out of here and say, you got to get out because there's too many people. All right. What other questions we got? Got about 15 minutes left. Like I said, tomorrow night at 8 PM, uh, Angela McArdle of the LA County Libertarian party, uh, and a Mises caucus member. I think it'll be a really interesting discussion. So also, as I posted yesterday, if you haven't read anatomy of the state, um, by Murray Rothbard. I posted the link in my story, so there's really no reason why you couldn't get it. You can download it for free. You can put it on your iPad, put it on your Kindle, whatever. You can do all that stuff. 
I said su- I highly suggest everyone who's listening right now go out and read Anatomy of the State because it's one of those things where it might blow your mind as to how to think about the state and what they do behind them to give the state more power. Um, you know, that one page that I, I put on as a preview, pretty dead on. I mean, Murray Rothbard was kind of a smart guy. Um, and he, he, uh, he called a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff you read from Murray Rothbard. You go, wow, this stuff is going on like literally right now. And he warned about it decades ago, but so I would read Anatomy of State. And then once that happens, uh, you may fall down the rabbit hole. But it's fun down here. It's fun down. It's nice and cozy down the rabbit hole. So did you see the Project Veritas video about Antifa teacher in Sacramento? Um, I saw a little bit of it. I did not see the whole thing. Uh, I was kind of busy yesterday. So I don't. I didn't see a little bit of it and what the general gist was that this kid was saying. I call him a kid because he looks like a kid. Um, also acts like a kid. Um, I'm sure there's probably kids who are better behaved than him. Uh, his whole thing was that he's trying to teach students to be revolutionaries, that he has an Antifa flag, that he has a Mao Zedong poster and stuff like that. Go to your school board, go to your school board, go to your PTA. Remember you get to vote on people who are in the school board and you get to say, you get to go to these school board meetings and say, this is absolutely unacceptable. We don't want our kids being exposed to Antifa and Mao Zedong and all this stuff. Therefore, we think you should fire him. And then if not, you run for school board and you push to get rid of him. So that's why one thing about public schools is that they are accountable. You do have to you do vote for who's on your school board and those school boards do oversee everything and they have enormous power. And we've said this before plenty of times. I don't think people realize how much power school boards have, every local politician has. Forget president. President is far away, 3,000 miles away, um, you know, taking a nap somewhere. Uh, but it's really the local politicians who really have a lot of power over your everyday, day-to-day life. And that's why everything's important. You know, don't just gloss over every four years, just check for president and throw your ballot in the mail and assume that's fine. You have to really get on top of this and say like, who's on the school board, who's up for reelection, ask them if they support teachers pushing these ideals on the, on the kids. And if they do, then run against them inform people about them say like, Hey, the school board endorses this. We need to get rid of them. So there's plenty of opportunities again. Yeah. Anatomy of the state by Murray Rothbard, right to school choice. Also, there's a big prop coming up next year uh, from my buddy Todd Madison, who also down in San Diego. San Diego is becoming quite the little hub of, uh, you know, Liberty going down down here. Uh, he's been talking about getting this proposition off for school choice. I know Kevin Kylie has supported it. Uh, school choice. I think a lot of people are waking up to school choice after COVID and everything that happened with the lockdowns and watching uh, watching the the public teacher unions basically hold kids hostages for more money. Uh, And meanwhile, private schools were doing just fine. They were letting kids come in and they were doing their job and they were making it safe and they moved on. And I know a lot, I've known several people who took their kids out of public school and put them into private, like religious schools, even if they don't believe necessarily, they're not a hundred percent Christian or Catholic or whatever, but they have said that the, the returns and their kids 
love it. Their kids love to go to school. Their kids are thriving. They love the instruction. I mean, they're just, they're thriving. And to most parents, that's all that really matters. If their kid's enjoying it and the kid's doing well, that's what really matters. But if they are going to public school and they feel like they're just another number or they're just another, you know, piece of livestock that they're funneling through the school, parents don't really like that. So keep an eye out for that. Once we, once I get more information from Todd Madison, I'm going to have him come on back on and talk about that proposition. Thanks for all your work and info. I'm in Wisconsin. Want to be prepared for the shenanigans they are bound to pull here. Yeah. Wisconsin is a, a kind of a battleground state. So Mao Zedong, Mao Zedong. He is the guy who started the Chinese communist party. Pull your children from public schools and hit them where it hurts. Um, there's plenty of resources on homeschooling. You know, I, I've, I've seen people say like homeschooling is not as bad as people think it is. Uh, I saw someone say that once you get rid of all the, the junk that they try and teach in public schools and you just get down to like the brass tacks of what they need to learn to stay on pace, there's not that much. I don't know if that's good or not. I, I don't know if that's that really that maybe our standards are too low for our kids, but I, I don't have kids, so I don't know. Um, but there are resources and I know a lot of people are changing their mind about homeschooling because it used to be, well, we were worried about homeschool because it will make them socially awkward and they won't figure out how to have friends and, and X, Y, and Z. And then I don't know. I feel like that's like social pressure for them to be like, well, you should join our statist, our, our big statist public school system. Because if not, your kid's going to be a reject and he's going to be an outcast. I don't think that's a good reason. The school board called the police on Project Veritas. Yeah, not surprising. Totally agree. Now that I understand the importance of local politics, I'm on fire about it. Awesome. Keep it up. Any truth to those service dogs being left in Afghanistan? I don't know. I saw conflicting reports. Natomas Unified School District Board meeting is today. September 1st at 5 p.m. If you're around Sacramento region, it should be good. Is that the one with the kid, with the Antifa? Um, doo, 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 doo. Yep, private schools are so much better. Uh, if you can do it, go ahead. Send your kid to private school. And I feel like, I, you know, I haven't heard too much about, like, a lot of these religious schools pushing too much of religion on them. They're just good schools. Like, they're just really good schools. And I've just heard good things about them. So... And if the kids are thriving, that's really all that matters. So school choice will make the district listen to the parents. That's one way to really hurt and break up the public unions. The, the big public union is hit them where it hurts. If you get school choice through here in California, which I don't understand their opposition to school choice because study after study has shown, even though they say and they give you the lip service because that's all Democrats do is uh, status Democrats do. I, I want to keep, I want to keep saying status Democrats, because again, there are Democrats, there are good Democrats who are, who are fighting alongside of us for a lot of Liberty stuff. Um, status Democrats continually push, well, we need to keep kids in public school. We need to keep funneling more money into public school. And they don't believe school choice is a good idea. And they say it's racist when study after study has shown that actually it benefits inner city minorities more than anybody else because it allows children who are born into inner cities who don't have the best of conditions it gives them the choice to go to a school outside of their neighborhood and learn and thrive and build themselves a better life and that's the point right you want the future generations to do better than you did 
So school choice provides that. And a lot of students who are from inner cities do really well with school choice. So the argument that school choice is racist doesn't really make sense. Is mail in ballot is mail in our ballots or is voting? I would, I'm voting in person just because there's only two questions. Go vote in person. Do, 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 do. Still sounds like mousy dung. Mousy dung. Maybe it's my Jersey accent. We can't leave the rest of the kids to be indoctrinated. We have to fight. Um, service dogs are not military dogs. Military dogs are, are their handlers. Mousy dung. That feels like a good meme, like mousy dung. Um, oops, sorry. There are homeless pods to help the other parents to pull from public. Been homeschooling for six years now. Kids are done by noon because they get questions answered without competition. Socialism is, is easier with other homeschooling friends and family. There you go. See? Homeschoolers being socially dumb is kind of directly related to how socially dumb their parents are. If the parents don't socialize them, then yeah, they'll be stuck. Um, I don't know. Maybe, do, 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 do. but you can definitely find social options for homeschool kids if you aren't lazy. I saw that the teacher is linked with the crazy Berkeley teacher that was arrested for assaulting people back in 2016. The one who was like, I forget what her name was. Um, I forget. Uh, in-laws about keeled over when we said we'd be doing homeschooling. It's not really their, not really their place, you know? I don't have kids, but I assume that like when it comes down to it, I've heard from other parents, it's, it's up to you. You are responsible. That's it. You know, nobody else is responsible. It's your responsibility to, to take care of your children and give them the best. So whatever in-laws say, it's not their business. They had their chance and you know, that's it. Um, just an FYI, there's homeschools that will provide you with funding for whatever curriculum you want for your children. You can't just buy religious curriculum. Good to know. Thomas Sowell recently published a book about school choice. It's excellent, as are all his works. Yeah, Thomas Sowell is a very smart guy. Uh, That's everything. The homeschools that provide funding are still part of the public school system. Uh, I would assume so. If they're giving you stuff for free, it's free i'm saying free because nothing is ever free in our society uh i would assume that they have some sort of government funding if they're giving you stuff without charging you but i know there's plenty of people i I, you know there's some people who follow um who are homeschoolers and they love it so you know you can definitely reach out to them i got my kids out best decision ever doing a public charge homeschool get twenty eight hundred dollars for each kid from the school no crt no drama um, okay. I don't know what's the, if someone can explain what's the difference between like a charter school and private school, I always thought charter was a different type of school. Um, I don't know if someone wants to explain that in the comments, what's the difference between a chartered school and a private school and a religious school. And we all know what a public school is. Uh, is a charter school where you just get people to come together and you kind of form like a little school on your own? Is that something you can do? I know that they're trying to push back on chartered schools. They don't want, because it's funding away from the public schools. It's funding away from the public unions and the public teachers unions. It's all about money. It's really all about money. So my kids go to charter also. 
High Tech San Marcos. Charter schools are generally still part of the public school system. Okay. I'm not really, yeah, I don't really know the difference between them. I haven't looked in them. Charters are state funded. Private are usually from churches. Check out HSLDA for legal definitions and options to homeschool. They are part of the public school system, but you can get whatever you offer your kid. Oh, oh gee, okay. Get whatever you want to minus the religious material. You don't have to teach CRT or any of the crazy stuff they teach in traditional school. Charters are public schools, but not within your home boundary. Then there are some that you can only have one or two days, and the rest is at home. Homeschool is all day, every day. Charter is funded by the state, but more private. Private schools get no funding from the state. Yeah, okay. Our schools probably so they have the accountability to the department. Ah, okay. Yeah, as I understand it, that um, I went to a private high school and they didn't have to have the same amount of days that the New Jersey Department of Education prescribed. So we technically actually went to school, I think it was 20 days less than public school. Uh, we did go to school on Saturdays, though. We had half days on Wednesdays and we had half days on Saturdays. So, you know, we were in school six days a week. And their whole thing at this private school, it's an old school private school, um, very fancy. Uh, just to give you, I got a scholarship to go in, so don't think like I'm some like silver spoon northeast, like, you know, old money person. Uh, but yeah, they, they had school all Wednesday and Saturday, a half day. But they always made sure you were busy. You were busy from the moment you woke up. Classes started at eight. Uh, and then after school, you had like, I think an hour or maybe a half an hour to go back to your room. It was also a boarding school, uh, change and go to some sort of sporting activity, some sort of team activity, whether it's, you know, theater or something else. Like you, you could do theater as one team activity, but they required you to do some sort of team activity. And then you did that. And then you came back and then there were some nights you had formal dinner where you had to get dressed up and you had to sit down and. You know, they kept you busy all the time. And the only day you really didn't have to do anything was Sunday, um, which was probably good. It gives you a lot of structure and it gets you used to the idea that life is is hard work. Um, and real life, you're always going to be busy every single day. So don't let kids get lazy. Um, I heard Tamika Amazon, she posted something on her stories. This is completely off topic, uh, talking about kids. And I thought it was a great point that she never lets her kids sleep in and hang around the house in pajamas past 8 a.m. Um, because she believes that, like, you want the kids to get up. They can hang around, but they're not going to do it in pajamas. Like, they have to get up. They have to make the clean their room, make their bed, all that stuff. And then get dressed and be ready for the day. And if they're going to hang out, they're going to hang out. But they're not going to sit there and do it in pajamas all day long. So I thought that was a pretty interesting idea. Every parent is different, though. So I'm not going to say you should do it. I'm suggesting it. You could do it. You cannot do it. All right. Any last questions um, before I hop off? Because I do have a lot of stuff to get to today. I got a lot of work um, in terms of what's going on after last night. And I also have other work. You know, I also got my um, also got my day job, too. So as I was saying, tomorrow night, 8 p.m., make sure you tune in. It's going to be Come with an open mind. Uh, I know a lot of people think that they have an idea of what libertarians are uh, so that people, you know, a lot of people are just like, well, libertarians are basically just socially conservative Republicans. I'm like, eh, I think it's a little deeper than that. So 
I would say post a link to the recall of Reamer so I can spread it and sign it. I'll repost the user who's running it. How about that? And you can DM this guy. He's running the, the recall. And um, yeah, so I don't think he has a site or anything like that. He's literally just getting started. And he's looking for like the first 20 signatures or so to get it started. And then they can serve her. Um, and then after that, then he's going to need people to like really spread the word. And then we'll really be pumping up the signatures and sending that stuff. Uh, but yeah, as I was saying about the libertarian thing, come with an open mind, come with questions. Don't just come and say, oh, you know, libertarians are just, you know, socially liberal Republicans and they want X, Y, and Z and they want, you know, they want everyone to be doing heroin and, and crazy stuff and they support all this stuff. Like, uh, the more I've learned about it, the more I've dipped my toes into it, I've realized that's not necessarily the case. So I'm going to ask her a lot about those questions. I'm going to say like, hey. Lay it out on the line. What's what? What do libertarians really stand for? Um, are they just socially liberal Republicans? And I have a feeling her answer is going to be no. That it's not just socially liberal Republicans. Uh, so yeah, tomorrow night, eight p.m. on YouTube. I'll do a little live first to kind of send out a notification. And um, yeah, make sure you read Anatomy of the State. I posted the link for it. I actually want to think about doing like a, a book club for it. That would be fun. Like to actually do a book club where we can go through and chat about anatomy of the state. We'll actually, um, I've heard it said before, libertarians are married Republicans without kids. I don't think that's it either. There's a lot of misconceptions about what libertarians are. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised to learn what the purpose of the Mises caucus is that she is a part of, that she's very active in. Um, and learn what the Mises Caucus is really all about. And um, yeah, there's going to be a lot of, you know, dispelling myths and misconceptions about the Libertarian Party. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to say like you need to join the Libertarian Party or whatever. I'm just saying like, hey, exchange of ideas is good. You know, we, you know, we got to get out of our echo chamber um, and we have to listen to other people's ideas. Anybody who's liberty minded, I'm all for it. Let's let's hear it. All right. With that said, thank you again to everybody who always tunes on, everybody who supported with the badges um, and all that. So um, as always, every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Tomorrow night, 8 p.m. is the live podcast. Uh, next week, we've got it confirmed that Anthony Tremino will be back uh, on Wednesday at 12 o'clock. So that'll be another live podcast that you can join in on. I know there's a lot of people who are fans of Anthony Tremino. We've been trying to get him back on. Uh, there's been some issues with scheduling and all that stuff. Um, and that's basically it. And then we're a week out from the recall election and things are really going to start heating up. And in that terms, um, I'm not saying that I'm aware of, and I'm a registered libertarian. There you go. See, got a whole bunch of people who are already excited about the libertarian podcast coming up tomorrow night. With that said, take care, everybody. I'll see you tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Next week at Wednesday, 9 a.m. and then 12 o'clock for the Anthony Tremino episode. Um, and I think there's going to be some Instagram lives in there. I've been chatting with some people. All right. Thanks again, everybody. Catch you on the next one.
Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 